Um, hello, 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 and welcome to the latest episode of Gamesphere. Back by popular request, uh, I'm with I'm with Drew. Hey, Drew. Hello. Uh, is, it, hello. is that my request? I, no, I, lit- I literally have had messages saying that they want to see you back on the show. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Which, to be honest, I do kind of think that the show works quite well with, with other people on it, rather than me just waffling away at... Uh, for for an hour or so. Although people say they like the waffling, so I watched the um, I watched your your one with Jenny. That was very good. Yeah, I I, I really like that one. Yeah, just to get the take of because the Witcher games are clearly very good games, but I, they, they, I've never taken to them. So it was nice to hear somebody who you know really loves them talking about them. Yeah, yeah, definitely because they're they're games that I've owned for a while now. And they even play through GeForce now, so I don't even have to bother installing however big they are. Um, the latest Witcher game is 14 terabytes. Oh, yeah. Well, no surprise there, isn't it? Because it's like... Um, so I can just I can pop it up on GeForce now when I get that, and I will get that urge at some point, but between all of the just incredibly long and expansive games, because there was um, Divinity Original Sin. You sent me that for my birthday. Thank you very much for that. Um, which I've got to crack into, but of course, Crusader Kings—that's pretty. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some time-consuming games there. There are, and and that's not even, of course, to mention Hades, which I've gotten back yeah. into. Um, I've made it up to the Hydra this far. Oh, oh, cool. Okay, you've not have you have you beaten the Hydra yet? Oh uh, no, the Hydra gets me every time. Um, okay. The damage from various different angles is something that I've yet to. Yeah. account for uh how far away how far along the line is the um is the hydra f- compared to the the rest of the journey do you want to say that it's a, a, a bit spoilery. Is, that, is it a bit spoilery so, if a warning i guess if you don't want to know the answer to that like silence for the next 10 seconds i guess okay um, yeah it's uh it's hot halfway i would say okay all right or there are one two three there's four bosses in total so yeah okay so if i can because i'm not beyond it like i can i can beat this this one and as you say in previous as as you've said before it's one of those games where like meg the first boss doesn't seem anywhere near as intimidating as she used to yeah when you work out when when you work when you come when you just nail down a good strategy to to Mm. to deal with it basically um you know it comes down through timing strategy Knowing what to do with the yeah, peripheral enemies. Before, like the, game, the game is very good at teaching you how to play the game without ever mm. feeling like it's teaching you how to play the game. You just you learn from doing, and yeah, you 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 develop a strategy over time. You just get better at controlling the character. Uh, yeah. So there, yeah. there will come a point when the Hydra seems pretty trivial to you, and it'll be the next one that you're worrying about. Yeah, I mean the the the, the trick is to like let the game let let the game wash over you, sink yourself into the game. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and it will it reveals parts of it to you o- over time. When it thinks you're ready for something, it'll introduce a new, uh, yeah. you know, element or or whatever. Over time, you'll unlock the unlock the weapons, which is the big thing for me. Right, is mm. if you find yourself not not getting into Hades immediately there and then. Unlock a few weapons because the choice of weapons, how your combat style differentiates, 
or differs up completely changes from weapon to weapon i'm on the spear um yeah the spear's good yeah yeah did i just unlock the shield when when uh, on the last podcast so that's in terms of weapons that's not a million miles away in fact i think the shield generally comes after the 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 spear can come after the shield depending on what order you want to lock them out and lock them out but i i've stuck on the shield now because it just gives me the the combat flow that i like it's not really too much more to it other than that really uh are you still on the shield yeah yeah i still love the shield the shield's the only one that i've managed to beat the game with so far um i but the shield i just really i just enjoy the shield like i do better with it and i enjoy it more Mm. And and that's what it's about, right? Like finding the weapon that you enjoy. Yeah, uh, you may not. I don't enjoy the sword at all, and some people love the sword. You know, it's, it's yeah. Find find the one that you like. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, get. Um, I'm 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 very easily frustrated, as as you may notice. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the reason why I bounce off roguelike games usually is just the frustration of like when you die, it's just like oh, I've lost. You know, I've got to start all over again, kind of thing. Whereas in Hades, mm. that's very minimal. That feeling of like, of course, you're frustrated when you die, but it's like okay, get to go again. Take what I've learned, go again. And you're like you've got ideas about how you're going to do it different this time. So it doesn't have that immensely frustrating feel that a lot of a lot of roguelikes fall down on roguelites. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do. I I always go back to my sort of roguelite or roguelike of um, my go-to roguelike, which is Heavy Bullets. Which, whilst very a very simple, very enjoyable game, available Stitch and uh, Itch and Steam, uh, Stitch for short now, um, it it um you do get that bouncy offy feeling it's almost like the further you go the more bounce you get back off of it uh, in yeah, many ways very much so. yeah 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 uh, and it's strange because it's that kind of game where just a few bad moments can just upend you so yeah. you've you, you with heavy bullets you're always going through that game on edge but also like sort of never feeling safe which is a good you know like that's that you know that that's good way to engage with you yeah, as a game to feel but 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 the problem with that is yeah the the you die and you're just like well i can't be asked to start right from the beginning again no Whereas but yeah with... so exquisitely designed that i don't have that feeling really it's like right it's another chance you know it's another chance to yeah. do it right and you get to see what you've unlocked as well. So maybe yeah. the next time you'll be able to go in with some a bit, slightly bit better preparation. Yeah, or um, a new weapon or, yeah. Yeah, and I think part of what Hades does, and they've clearly focused on this, uh, and I think it pays, is that they've they've just made the moment-to-moment playing yeah. of the game fun. It's yeah. fun so to... It's like almost hypnotic, right? Mm, yeah, exactly. Like it's... Um, or cathartic or... Um, like it feels good to be there, you know, and it feels like it's it's engaging. It's and, and you just you just slip into the zone, and you're just like you're you're in the game. You just there's nothing else, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and before you know it, you're at the Hydra because I think I first came across the Hydra like shortly after I beat Meg. Like it was not that long in in that second zone. Um, and and, and it. It doesn't. It feels like it gets shorter every time. The more you just sort of let the yeah. game take you. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think you get faster. I think you get faster because you were saying like when the, at the point where you were basically Meg was about as far as you could get generally, 
you yeah. were saying that took you about half an hour, whereas like a complete run takes me about half an hour. And I think it was the same for me when I was, you know, you, mm. you just get quicker, you get faster. Yeah. Well, I, I think the I, t- I think I timed the fight where I got to the Hydra for the first time. It took me 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. I've got, a, you know, like, I'm, and, and I can imagine myself beating the game in 45 minutes, if not less, yeah. if the Hydra is half the halfway point. Yeah. But it's, it is kind of remarkable how this is one of those games that pulls you back into practice at it. And it feels quite, not quite an alien concept, but like, wh- when was the last game that lured you in enough that you would actually train yourself to get better at it? Well, th- yeah, that's why it, it is a roguelite, but it feels like roguelikes because usually I bounce off roguelites because they have that just m- massive frustration when you die. And I like because mm. it's skill based and very physical, it's kind of exhausting. And like, I, I just don't want to do that again. Whereas roguelikes um, have that, they have that feeling, the same feeling that Hades has. It's like, well, you know, I, I, because it's turn based and because if you die, it's entirely your fault. Like you learn things every time and it's like, right, I'll take what I've learned and, you know, do better next time. And that's the feeling that Hades has. Or yeah. also, and this, this is shared with Hades. So in, with Hades, at a certain point, I was like, right, I'm going to stop worrying about how far I get. And I'm just going to sort of treat it as like farming. Like I'm going to farm resources. I'm going to, I'm going to get as much um, Ribena purple drop stuff uh, as mm. I can get. So I'm going so every choice is going to be based on maximizing that. And then I'm going to get everything I can in the mirror and then when I'm f- fully tooled up, then I'll try and do a serious run where I try and get to the end. So that that sort of changes the changes the way the game feels and, and takes a lot of pressure off. <laughs> like it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. if you die because you're getting, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, rogue. I think rogue likes yeah that. It's like, well, I I died this time, but maybe this time I can take this different path that I didn't try last time. And you know, it's ex- explorative. Yeah. That's yeah. That that is a fair point, actually. Yeah. This episode of Game Sphere is brought to you. By, of course, DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point to your GitHub repository and let the App Platform do all the heavy lifting. It has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, and Docker. DigitalOcean runs their app platform on their own infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than with other products. Plus, they built this new app platform on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control over your infrastructure setup. As a listener of the GameSphere podcast and the Destination Linux network, you can get started for free. And in fact, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a hundred dollars of credit when you sign up by going to do.co slash DLN. That's do.co forward slash DLN. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of the GameSphere and for generally being kind to the Destination Linux network. Thank you very much, DigitalOcean. As a wonderful i've been playing a fair amount lately not so much lately lately but quite lately uh with hex that you've bounced off which which is uh secrets of grindir now i've talked about it on this podcast before um but you bounced off that one right 
I didn't really bounce off that one um, so much as I was awake at the wrong time, so uh, I just wasn't available to play when people were playing it. But I, but there is a little bit of um, I think I've just, I've just I've played a lot of those type type of games were my favourite type of game for a very long time. So I've played I've played a lot of them, and I think I'm maybe a bit tired of that formula. Mm, because I saw um, our friend Hex's follow up video about it, yeah, and he said what what he said it was. I mean, I don't. Th- like the it wasn't the best game ever made or it was cl- <laughs> yeah, said, yeah yeah and he often yeah. had referred to the fact that look cyber cyberpunk's just got out i've got a copy of it i can play it why am i playing secrets of grindir yeah yeah right the game i mean the pixel art is nice but it's not going to you know knock you off your seat like hades is a better looking game just putting that out there it's a good looking game is secrets of grindir um there's not that much to it. Like I've not come across anything that I haven't generally seen in an RPG of one stripe or another. I like how they keep it quite simple. It's a very simple premise of you've got some magics, you've got some defensive powers, some offensive powers, sword, shield, uh, bow and arrow. I think what it is with Grindia, as I'm calling it, <laughs> um, is that it's it's one of those games where you're playing it. It's very clear that the devs have a have a very solid idea of what they want the game to be, and they're mm. going to make their, their primary concern is making the best version of that possible, the best version of that idea that they can make. Like they care. It's it's it, it feels like an early indie game where it's just made out of love rather than it's it's kind of become a business now, right? Even with the indies, mm. it's like you can see you can see where they reined in their ambition in order to make a product that would make them some money. Whereas yeah. Grindia is just like a bit like Stardew Valley, it just feels like they would have made this game even if nobody was ever going to buy it. Yeah, it's an absolute labor of love, and and I think you can feel that you can see that it's a game. It's a perfect game for people who like those kind of games. Uh, yeah, I'm. But I mean, the closest game of that type that really drew me in in a, in a major way was Pokemon Red and Green. Um, <laughs> right. Which the which the game kind of like it kind of feels a little bit similar to yeah. I guess yeah. like it certainly feels more like a Pokemon game than the newer Pokemon games. Not that I've really played many of them. They like you go to a town, you do some quests, and you move on. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a blend of that kind of nineties, uh, early two thousands pixel um, Japanese action RPGs uh, with with the Western ARPGs like Diablo style game, um, mm. and with the like the puzzly elements of like an adventure game or 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 a more JRPG ish JRPG on top of it. Yeah, it's it's all all of the action. RPG genres kind of blended together. <laughs> it is, and the spells see, seem quite ba- balanced and quite satisfying. Um, yeah. They and and the spirit of the game kind of feels nice and, um, uh, you know, upbeat. Um, you know, yeah. good a good one to play through the plague. Well, but um, Hex, Hex and Joe were saying that because it's it's it's, it's light hearted, right? The narrative yeah. in it is quite light hearted. But Hex and Joe said that they came to a certain point in the game where they were just like wrapped by the narrative and like quite feeling quite emotional about what was happening in the story and like being able to balance that I think is quite an accomplishment. Yeah, I've These I in particular is not generally you know a narrative person, so if the narrative mm. really pulled him in, that says something. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, with me, it depends very much on the whether or not I'm a narrative person. With uh, Secrets of Grandia, I am not a um, narrative mm. person. I, I don't necessarily know why. Um, I guess maybe perhaps just just the dialogue at the bottom of the screen is is not is not what compels me. I guess maybe. Yeah, I think you and I are probably virtually identical in terms of our relationship with narrative and and mechanics and and how the two need to relate for us to care. Yeah, although it's, it's the moral a... indexes that that pull us in. Yeah, although long live the queen one of my favorite games of all time completely breaks that mold it is just a yeah. virtual yeah but but that's it's essentially a visual novel right it's a very dynamic visual novel but it's essentially a visual novel and i can i can enjoy those as well the games that are explicitly that yeah although the well but it is a difficult game oh wait no sorry i'm thinking of the other one where you swipe left and right for decisions you're talking oh about, you're yeah. thinking it yeah. rains yeah um like the cleanup of Princess Maker, right? Yeah, like uh, it's one of my favorite games. But I think, in some ways, the mechanics do kind of match the narrative. Well, it's a yeah. It's it's got that same yeah. The games what the games that draw us into the narrative have this melding of they're either entirely narrative where we can just accept that it's just a narrative game, or you have this melding of mechanics and narrative, and they just intermesh. It's not like mm. I think we both don't enjoy the kind of games where there's a bit of action and then there's a then there's a um, a cutscene and then there's a bit you know where it's like mm. the distinct things the get the game and the narrative are distinct parcels in the game like I, i'd never get on with that i think i agree yeah i've not no, i've not seen it as that but i think that's that's a fair point actually cutscenes in games are something i have a t- tendency to skip because mm-hmm. you despite- feel like the game is being interrupted to tell you some story it's like well shut up sit down we just want to tell you a story now whereas yeah yeah again your deus ex your morrowind your long live the queen they they meld the two together such that they the the narrative is part of the game world as the mechanics are that's yeah i think that that gives me a bit of nostalgia actually because i remember what's playing through the demo of half-life the first half-life for the first time hmm. and i was blown away by that yeah yeah but it wasn't but the thing is like what i was blown away at isn't things that you'd look back and think that i'd be blown away at right absolutely yeah i was actually uh, i was thinking about half-life one earlier in exactly that same way yeah i was um i remember like the fact that you have conversations in the world that you're playing the fact that stuff happens around you as you're exploring the game world that was what blew me away because up until then it was almost always you shoot out the level you go to the next level and then maybe yeah. you get a cutscene what like every yeah. five levels yeah. or something yeah no half-life and, one is like a master class on show don't tell mm. uh i mean it exemplified by the um the train journey at the beginning which is a bit tedious on a replay but the first time you play it you learn you learn everything you need to know about this place that you're in without being told a single thing yeah and what it's like and where you're already caught up like in many ways where you're already caught up to in the story because the place that you work in half-life you already know that there's some freaky goings on there like it wasn't it wasn't suddenly bam aliens invaded 
the, right. you know, like you, there were, there were, they dropped the little hints in the stuff in the in yeah, the intro. That train journey, you you learn that you learn that you're, you know, this this company has quite strong ties to the military. You you learn mm-hmm. that like they don't really care that much about safety. They don't really care about their workers necessarily that much. Uh, you're, you know, mm. yeah, all all that kind of stuff without without a single word of dialogue or or, or yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, with with Deus Ex as, as well. Like, and I feel that part of this has been lost over the over the the, the games as the games have gone on. Now, with Deus Ex, there is some telling and not showing, particularly with Invisible War, which obviously would be better if they did show. Invisible War, by no means a perfect game, but in many cases, like with Half Life, the original, it was the atmosphere of the world that really told the story to you. The and I so I don't know how much to attribute this to of, of the time technological limits versus director choice, but like having like empty streets of New York, mm. either because it's nighttime or it's martial law or lockdown or something like that. But like that eeriness um, yeah. was was to me what made the the character of the Deus Ex games that yeah. you have this big like this big world that that has so few people inhabiting it. I mean the fact uh, that like, you've got in one corner of the same map a homeless person begging for money so they can buy drugs to make their life a little bit less hellish and then you've got these clearly very expensive military robots walking down the street you know yeah exactly yeah exactly um but it was to- it's just told in the the environment it's it's not yeah. pointed out you go oh that person's poor because he made uh he refused to get augmentations or that person's poor because they were addicted to drugs or that person's poor because of this they they don't tell you that they they Morrowind was masterful not a slightly different thing i guess but um like in morrowind if you're in the cities uh you know there's there's a plethora of like you know vessels are ceramic and uh there's metalware and so on and so on and then you go out into the ashlander camps and vessels containers are made out of like uh, bug shells or bits of crab or oh or, yeah you know, I eat. that's amazing chitin and sticks and you know every place feels like uh, the culture emerged from the place and from a history, and I, and I think that's in stark contrast to Oblivion, where no matter where you go, everybody's got the same cups, everybody's got the same forks, everybody's got the same like. Oblivion is good in some ways, but like it, it just lacks that care, that attention to making it, uh, making it feel like a culture that, em- that emerged from, you know, a people, a place, and and a history. Mm. I mean, thinking on it now, Oblivion could have been improved by having the one main city be the imperial city have a little bit of countryside around it and then just focus on making it more dense but admittedly over a smaller area so at yeah. least everyone having similar cups kind of makes sense with with, yeah, yeah. with morrowind you've I mean, got a few a, i mean that is a more the world presented in oblivion is a more homogenous society than that presented in morrowind so it's a bit of an unfair comparison but the point is that you, if you just stumble into an Ashlander camp, you know you know everything you need to know about these people without talking to anybody. Just yeah. from the, the objects that they you know, it's almost archaeology, like real time archaeology, <laughs> right? Just from the objects that you that, that you see around you, you can infer so much about these people. Whereas yeah. you go into is it Leowin, the, the most southerly city that's a bit Argonian feeling and yeah. Oblivion, you go there and it's yeah, you see Argonians walking around, but that's it, right? There's, there's nothing mm. there's nothing else that tells you about these people in this place. That yeah, that that is Yeah, that's fair. Um 
Yeah, I was, I was, gonna, I was actually going to mention this in relation to uh, Dishonored. Um, oh yes, we both we, we both loved Deus Ex and Morrowind, right? And Half Life mm-hmm. One. It was this period of like three or four years where we had Half Life One, Morrowind, uh, Deus Ex. Uh, I think there's a few others that I'm probably forgetting, but these games that um, sort of signaled what the future of gaming was going to be like. You know, these uh, this melding of mechanics and narrative and emergence and 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 authored story and just like all fitting together perfectly, and you in the game feeling like you had absolute freedom. Like mm-hmm. it, you know, and it's sometimes in, in Morrowind you kind of do have absolute freedom. And in Deus Ex, it's a bit of an illusion. And in, and in Half-Life 1, it's even more of an illusion. But the, there's a skillfulness in making it feel like you have this infinite choice, right? And we thought, like, game, you know, after this, games, games are going to go on this trajectory. And in 10 years' time, games are going to be amazing, like immersive worlds of choice and blah, blah, blah. And then that never happened, right? <laughs> after, after Deus Ex and Morrowind, it, it went the opposite way, if anything. They, they scaled back. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and that's where we're going to bring Dishonored up because, yes, we had uh, Human Revolution in 2011, uh, but Human Revolution felt like that, that Deus Ex idea again. It didn't feel like where that trajectory was going, right? Mm. It felt like it was on, you know, on the same level. Uh, and, yeah. and pretty much the only game I've ever played that felt like it took that trajectory and, 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 and um, ampli- you know, not amplified, but you know, carried it on in the direction it was going was, is Dishonored. That does feel like it took that idea and said, "Let's do more with that." Hmm. So yeah, like in some ways, it seems like when when you you know the the trait like the traits of the open world, all of the what do you call it the unsubst uh, the vapid stuff was has sort of been brought forward, whereas the meaningful stuff has. has left yeah, we've got tons right? of open world games now, but they're all empty. The point they're is, all, these games yeah. were open. Incredible, like the openness served the richness, whereas now it's open, empty, boring places. Yeah, and and with the, I mean, the levels in Deus Ex, for example, they weren't that big. I th- I even think one of the problems with Mankind Divided was that it was too big. That that yeah, main the main Prague level, and of course, being in daytime. I know it sounds like <laughs> a small thing, but it does completely upturn the Deus Ex feeling for me. Um, yeah, it's, it seems like a lot of the, the bigger game companies, they go, oh yeah, great, open world. Because they were selling Morrowind and Oblivion as having these huge game worlds. You could read it on the box. Do you yeah, remember when yeah, we used yeah. to get games on boxes from a shop? <laughs> um, and it used to be like, hey, uh, an island the size of the UK or whatever is play and discover and all that. I thought, oh, wow. I was like, now the worlds are bigger. They've never been bigger. Right, yeah. I mean, how how big is like Night City in in Cyberpunk or something like that? Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be massive. Or heck, even and this is a good game, but still far too big a world is Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you, what, yeah. I mean, I get, I get, I get that it's supposed to be in its version of the Nevada desert, right? Yeah. But like, it's 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 a lot of area there for not much going yeah. on. Yeah. There, there's a little. Younger gamers are probably not going to understand what we're talking about because, you know, to them, it's like, mm. yeah, the games got bigger. What's the problem? But the point, the point and again, always mm. using Morrowind as the example, is that Morrowind always. was huge for its time. Uh, and you stumbled up, you, you, stu- you, you were forever stumbling upon these things that just made you go, wow. Like mm. whether it was like an amazing treasure at the end of a cool dungeon or, you know, the, the underground Viking burial is the one I always go to. Like you go through this 
I think you start off in a cave, which leads to a tomb, which leads to another cave, which leads to this ancient, ancient underground Viking burial. And you're like, first time through, you, that probably took you like an hour or two to get to the bottom of that dungeon. And you could have missed, you know, the entrances and stuff to all the sub mm. parts of that dungeon. And when you get there, you, you're just rewarded with this thing. That not, it's not just a spectacle, though, because modern games are very good at spectacle. It's yeah. back to that previous thing. It, it's a place that tells you more about the world. This layering of these dungeons tells tells a story about the world and the people who lived mm. here and how they relate to the people who live here now and how we got into this, you know, blah blah blah. It's it's that blending of of mechanics and place and story and history that makes it special. Whereas modern open world games, you just stumble upon a thing that was made for you to stumble upon. Uh, yeah, it's dull. Yeah, although with the newer games, I will give kind of an exception. Uh, I think the the newest games that have done it the best have been Fallout Three and New Vegas. Do you still count those as new games, or or, or, or am I showing my age a bit here? Um, I, I think I think to, to, I put them in the same category category as Oblivion. I think they're weaker than Morrowind, but they're stronger than what came after. Yeah, like to me, I think Fallout New Vegas might be the end of the golden era. Um, See, I, <laughs> that's it's the one game of that type that we disagree on because i really don't like new vegas uh there's the, there's a sort of semi-famous uh quinton smith review that he did a, yeah. about it when it came out on rps uh and he he slated it um and i agree with everything he says in that uh review and most people disagree most people seem to love it i seem to be in the minority on that one Fallout 3 I quite enjoyed because it was, you know, as, mm. as it was joked at the time, Oblivion with guns, right? It's yeah. a big, and it had some interesting stuff in it. It did have some genuinely mm. weird and interesting stuff in it. Uh, and that yeah. was cool. But then New Vegas felt like Obsidian doing that, which is exactly what it was, right? And to me, that's just mm-hmm. the, the emphasis shifts from the interesting, weird, disconnected, organic feeling world to a very heavily constructed narrative, which I didn't think was particularly well written. Um, I, I, I disagree with that on a number of points. No less, we have had lengthy discussions about which the best side of Fallout New Vegas is, where we haven't with Fallout anything to do with Fallout 3. Now, you might say that's partly down to having a stru- constructed narrative, but how, like, that's a really well constructed narrative that can take any number of twists and turns. Like, each side has a meaningful perspective to bring to the table. I probably clarify. I think that the 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 structure of the narrative is is it's fine, but it's mm. it's fine because it's the same game they always make. They make the same mm. that's the same as um Bioware. They just keep making the same game over and reskinning it, right? <laughs> Uh, so that they've got very good at telling that particular story. When I say the when I say the writing I mean the the, the micro, like the dialogue, the characters. Oh, gotcha. yeah. Kind of dull. Uh, kind of. I think you're, you. I I've always found that problem with games with a certain number of characters. The only game I think can really pull it off, um, I think was was some of the Deus Ex ones where they get enough voice actors in that it kind of makes the characters feel more. I don't know, characterful. I mean, obviously, the the, the the obvious counterexample is Oblivion, where they had like three voice actors for everything, and it shows, and it was terrible, and it's not. Oh dear! <laughs> but I think Mor- weirdly, Morrowind. There's, Morrowind has some ex- some amazingly written characters like Vivek, but generally speaking, mm. the characters you interact with aren't particularly well written. They've got a lot of stock dialogue, mm. but in Morrowind, I felt like 
I built relationships with people, especially the guild leaders who are giving you the quests. You build a relationship with you with them that's 99% in your head because of what happened when you went out on the mission and then came back and then they said a thing, well done, you've got this. And it, you were imagining a relationship based on what was happening. It wasn't just it wasn't just delivered through the writing. You weren't told what your relationship was, was with this person. Um, and I think that's something that games have got worse at leaning on, leaning on, you know, giving you, give, equipping you as far as possible to let your imagination tell the story. And that's, oh, that's, that's yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think New Vegas leans that way. They want to t- make you sit down and tell you a story, whereas whereas Fallout Three is like here's a machine in which you can discover your own story. I'm going to have to sit down and have a think about this one because I think in the, with the, the, with Fallout New Vegas they do open endedness better than I've seen almost any other game do open endedness because you have first of all right you've got I I always measure in my head right in any open world game the first the earliest point that you have full access to the world around you right mm. so in morrowind that will be like no time at all right two two or three minutes depending on how long you want to set up your character right yeah oblivion you go through a training level right mm-hmm. uh with fallout 3 you go through the first zero to 11 years of your or is it zero to 21 years of your life right through a a whole chapter of of plot and dialogue and then fallout new vegas you have the option of doing a tutorial which you can miss and then you're pretty much straight in the the world as it operates um and i've always preferred the games where you have that shorter amount of time yeah before before going out into the the world and i think that it was you know like the big illustration between fallout 3 and and new vegas is you you have to go through the first something like 21 years of your life through these various flashback things which explain why you're the person who you are but like kind of like it doesn't make sense no i agree i agree because it's like Liam neeson badly acting at you the whole time (laughs) how many yeah he, he, he did seem to it in a little bit, yeah. I, I, I don't think Bethesda are good at directing voice actors. I think it was anyway. That's beside the point. Mm. I don't, yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm fine with poor voice acting. If I'm honest, I mean, I would prefer a more windy style system yeah, with your yeah. written dialogue, but um, yeah, leave it, it, it even right? more to your imagination. Um, because a, a game that I play that I think is much more in the spirit of the Deus Ex Golden Era games is Neon Struct, which. It's been out a while now. Um, minimalist game based yeah. kind of around Deus Ex with sort of somewhat mechanics of um, of uh, of Thief, the original Thief games. Um, I can't remember if I've talked about this in a recent game sphere or whether or not I just remembered taking stock footage from it because I, for some reason I remember recording some stock footage from it. Um, that is a game that tells very much that there is written dialogue all throughout that. So none of the characters have voices because so the characters are very like min- miniature. Uh, what, what's the term? Um, minimalist in their style. It do, it seems quite natural for them to to not have voiced parts, yeah, and because uh, yeah. because there there is a plot, but it doesn't really matter. Like there are some. You know, there are some notes of a story that it hits, but for all intents and purposes, a level from this game would be: you're in a prison, escape the prison, and and you get you get like graded uh, on: has someone seen you? Have you had to knock anyone out? Have any alarms gone off? Um, have you found all the secret cache locations in in any given map? 
so it takes it down to its raw components but the the storytelling element in this game is it's all done through the sound to be honest Mm. Uh, how they do the background music right i know it's not particularly original but it is beautiful is they've got this uh, band called the home improvements that are on Bandcamp. they're really good synth wave but they play on all the radios throughout all the levels right yeah so you don't have a background game there's a a cinema theory term for when music is delivered as part of the world rather than as a soundtrack as such and i can't remember what it is but i i love games that deliver music that way yeah yeah, it's uh, it does that so well because it get, just walking up to it like it, it it's so difficult to describe because it's a feeling that it gives you, like yeah. walking down this quiet street at night, hearing the music off in the distance, thinking, oh, is that is that a coffee shop with some lights on or something? I'll go and I'll go and see yeah. what's about. And it's yeah. like it's you know building up these this sort of experience. I think that's immersion. the feeling, though, between a, a game that does that well and a modern open world game. In modern open world game, you see something and you're, you're almost thinking, oh, the developers want me to go there. Mm. Whereas in, in Morrowind Deus Ex, and as you're describing uh, Neon Struct, it's, it's, I want to go there. <laughs> I want to yeah. see what's happening <laughs> over there. Yeah. That, that's quite a subtle... It's quite a subtle difference to get across, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because the things that I liked about Fallout, Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas' storytelling was that you you did have like a lot of these little scenes that told a story in and of themselves. Yeah. So, for example, you might go to a... Um, there are some that are quite, quite harrowing. Um, uh, I'll try and think of one that doesn't involve murder. Um, there's always cannibalism for me. Oh, oh cannibalism <laughs> creeps me the fuck out. When I met cannibals, I would always just execute all of them. I, uh, uh, it was like there was the one kid that like locked himself in a safety bunker as like everyone in his village was getting eaten around him by giant ants. And there <laughs> yeah. are like there are lots of little houses in the, in the little village that will have like little scenes of like where a couple were like in bed holding each other as the you know during their yeah. last moments. Uh, yeah. And, and if, you're play, if you're playing when you're tired and you're feeling a little bit emotional, that can actually look like a face. Yeah. A little tear and then move on. Yeah, yeah. Because it's supposed to be like the whole world is set when the bombs dropped, right? Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, it, it's kind of like a, a, a pseudo situation where all the bombs would drop at the exact same time, I'd imagine. I'd, yeah. yeah. Which, but it's, like, it's, a, it's a Pompeian effect, right? You get these yeah. frozen, yeah. Uh, yeah, because there was there was like the sheriff, no, the deputy sheriff, and he was in bed with his mistress. Yeah. That's where you found you found him, and it's like, oh, he should have been at his post or something. And yeah. it's little things like that. Like when they developed um, the world in New Vegas, they did try and make it so that you would have three of the monuments in the world visible at any one time. And I always thought that was a was a really good element that actually opened up the world in a very open way to me whereas with fallout 3 you don't really get that um not not that it hugely again it feels more that feels disneyland to me that feels a show put on for you scenery that you're supposed to find and it's arranged for you to see rather than rather than the organic stumbling upon something in the middle of nowhere and it's like something you weren't expecting it's weird i do think there's it's it's a yeah it's a subtle thing, but I think it's there. That's that that that, that is quite interesting that you say that because it does remind me of uh, an exchange of YouTube video essays between how bad Fallout 
three is versus how bad Fallout New Vegas is. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, they've both got their flaws and they've both got their qualities, right? Yeah, but, I mean, one, one, one argument was made that uh, with Fallout New Vegas, it opened up an entire, like, world to you that was non-linear that was yours to explore and build and interact with as you wished whereas fallout 3 was like mostly on a linear train and then the counter argument was actually well there's just as much stuff open in fallout 3 it's just you have to go out there and find it yourself and then there was there was an example yeah there, there was an example of like one sort of secret ending ending to a mission that involved you having a comic book from a factory like the other side of the map right yeah i know that one yeah um it's a really obscure one and one argued that's a terrible way be- to 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 bring in a, a gameplay because um like how how's the user supposed to know it's there and then that's the cat was yeah and the cat was well it's good because it, it rewards people for actually exploring and engaging yeah. in the world um and, and thinking through, because there was like a link behind it like i think the the quest itself involved comic book characters and then you found the comic in the comic book factory and then yeah. you know you, you there was I some sort that, of like that's a big distinction i think that's is on the nail on the head between the morrowindy games and the, and and the more modern games is in morrowind the stuff designed such that only 0.01% of players are ever going to see it mm. whereas the more modern games are like they they want they want a high proportion. I'm not going to say everybody, but they want a high proportion mm. to see it for it to be worth it, which makes everything less special. Because if you do find the thing that, because you know by the path you took that nobody's, it feels like only you are going to see this, and that feels special. Mm. Only you figured out the comic book thing, like you know, you actually did something clever. You did some, you know, something yeah. unique. It feels unique. Yeah, I think I think that's it because the trouble is when you've got a game that's two on rails, it might as well be a movie. Mm. And that's where I do drift off, bounce off from narrative games more more often than mechanical games, like a game like like Shapes or a game like um, Battle for Wesnoth or something. I don't know why those are the two that came to mind. Very mechanical, or even Heavy Bullets. Like, yeah. the, they're just all mechanics at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, mechanics first yeah because that to me that's using the medium yes you know it's like what you know like you know to telling a story telling like a a a very narrative story through a computer game it's a bit like trying to read an audiobook over the television like (laughs) you you can do it but it's not really the agency is the things that games have that no other medium has with the exception of like choose your own adventure books right in which case it's a very shallow agency um Yeah, yeah, but also I, a very basic game. If a game isn't, yeah, if a game is not making use of agency, and then it's not making use of its medium. Yeah, exactly. I will just very quickly. My, I mean, Fallout Three is not mm-hmm. a game that I love. It's a game that I like. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I mean, two huge flaws with Fallout Three are the the opening, which is awful, and mm-hmm. even more so the unforgivable ending. Yeah. Everything like in the middle I can tolerate is, is great, though. But I, I got... <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know the and, and you know spoilers, but this game's a million years old now. Um, yeah. In the end, you you can be friends with a super mutant, right? Who is immune mm-hmm. to radiation, and there's a situation where you have to go into an irradiated booth to press a switch or something. Um, so obviously, you know, you turn to your radiation-proof friend mm-hmm. and you say. Uh, why don't why don't you go in and do the switch for me? And he says something like, "No, I think this is something you should do for yourself." So <laughs> you have to go into the booth at the end and kill yourself. 
Yeah, because <laughs> we we need a uh, we need a narrative climax. Go in there and do it yourself. Which is just <laughs> dumb. Yeah, it it was it okay. Yeah, that was disastrous. Um, especially considering the the companion, the the radioactive resistant companion that you can have, he's not added in through DLC or a mod or anything like that. Like uh, he was there right in the first version of the game. Yeah, and he's, you, you, you're not necessarily going to have him at the end, but he's he's one of the more attractive companions, right? It's he like... he comes into the game uh, if you've got high enough karma, but the overwhelming majority of people will play that game with high karma. Yeah, yeah. most I, more people will. I'm tempted to say, unless he's died in a previous battle. Yeah. Um, people are more likely to have him than not, to be yeah. honest. And even if he's only a five percent chance of having him at the end, that writing is just in it. It's just inexcusable. Like, it, no, it, at least come up with a better narrative. Re- like, make him not be there at the end. He's got to go off and take care of something or something. Because, because, no, I think you should take care of this yourself. That's absurd. It's just absurd, right? What makes it even more absurd is their right around when the Broken Steel, I think it's Broken Steel DLC got released. And they, so they made uh, content past the ending point there. Right. And what they did to explain it is that you could send in Forks, the, um, the yeah. super mutant. And then the, the game, uh, is it Randy Newman who does the voice or something? He, he says like he basically calls you a coward because <laughs> you didn't go in yourself. It's like, <laughs> okay, okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, and it's like <laughs> mad. Uh, so they don't they they don't even try and fix it with broken steel. That yeah, all right. The beginning and the end. <laughs> it, uh, Fallout Three is 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 New, it is New disastrous. Vegas, like New Vegas gets those parts absolutely right. And yeah, some of the yeah. These were great. Like, I, there's a lot I like about New Vegas. It's just there's this group of companies: um, Bioware, Black Isle, Obsidian, who are all sort of related. I think they share employees and they've drifted in that. And I don't mm. like any of their games. And it's just it's it's the writing. I find the writing unnatural and clunky. And that's it. Just always makes me, even if I like the mechanics and the and the situations and the you know the broad arc of the story, the writing just makes me just bounce off it the, the only games i've managed to play all the way through of theirs is like mass effect and even that it was a struggle uh that mass mass effect is a complicated one in it <laughs> yeah especially when you get into the sequel yeah i mean i like mass mass effect 2 is my favorite of the the three games yeah, that's the one where i was just like no they've gone too far into this bioware nonsense for me how interesting! Because the first one I always felt was too just too long. The levels were too yeah, long. I like long games. I like long, minimally written games, and 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 the first one was more that. Although there's that bit at the beginning where mm. you've got two, you've got two people in your party who are both obnoxious fascists, uh, and the game asks you which one you want to kill, and both is not an option. <laughs> Bother me. <laughs> I don't know if Caden was that bad, was they were he? Both, they were both a bit like. Yeah. Uh, okay, fair enough. I'll have to I, I go back on that one. I I know that they retconned some of that back into the character. You know, you know, like they they they've rolled that back in in. Oh really? By the third one, the third one's ending was pretty bad though. Well, it's 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 uh, mythically bad, right? It's the one that's gone down. They mention it in Silicon Valley. 
somebody is compared to the ending to Mass Effect 3. Yeah, um, it, it was like it was uh, quite a good game. But I watched it, and it is, I mean, it's just an insulting engine ending, right? Yeah, like I, I enjoyed the game right up to the last 20 minutes of it. Oh, there was a thing with 1 and 2. This might be 1 and 2, this might be 2 and 3, I forget. But um, uh, Mass Effect 1 ends, and then they release a DLC, which takes place between Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2, I think, where one of the things your character can do is uh, accidentally commit genocide. Uh, and then at the opening of, I think it's Mass Effect 2, you're, I forget, but like you're on trial for genocide or something. So if you didn't play that DLC, you're like, well, I did what? Um, I, I th- oh, I'm not familiar with the DLCs. Um, it's like the, the DLC is canon in the one that follows it, and if you so if you didn't play the DLC, it's like, I, I don't remember doing this. I'm not sure. That could be. Um, you say accidentally commit genocide. I think um, th- there are a few cases where genocide could happen. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> so uh and and you do have to tend to answer for them. Um I think should be a genre and stick a tag on Steam. Genocide can Um yeah, I mean I I I get the yeah, the the ending of Mass Effect 3 was it like it was going all right r- right up until the last 20 minutes and <laughs> then it just kind of it tried it tried to do that thing where it it overtly goes philosophical, but it kind of hasn't laid the philosophical groundwork yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the problem, yeah. It's like, you had this really epic story, but I think... You know how you 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 have this, um, f- this idea that it, Game of Thrones was always rubbish, it was just the first couple of seasons that tricked you into... Yeah. not thinking it was rubbish yeah. i kind of feel a little bit like that with mass effect is that mass effect yeah. might always have been rubbish it's yeah, just when, right. when you see that point where it's supposed to all come together it, yeah. it and it and it just it just flopped about a bit and fell down yeah. that's when you realize that the foundations were never there like yeah. it had this end of the world story but it didn't have like it didn't have the meaning or the truth or the it had bits of the humanity beneath it right like you had missions that involved you helping refugees that were living out of shipping containers and stuff like that like bits of it they did really well and it's those little bits that i really like and it's those little bits that i remember but at the end of the day aliens come they want to wipe out the world it's about the yeah, philosophical that, philosophical depth of it this applies to games and it, it applies perhaps even more to TV stuff. I'm becoming more and more aware of the distinction between stuff where they're making it up as they go along and stuff where they knew what the ending was when they wrote the beginning, right? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. To me, so that I makes... Becoming, it's not something I've thought about in previous decades, but it's like um, Battlestar Galactica is an example of it doing it wrong where they didn't know where they were going and they made it up and they reacted to the fans too much and, you know... Yeah. And it worse and worse. Whereas Expanse is... is you know, I've I've, I've, uh, I've sung the praises of Expanse to you, but Expanse it's so clear that the stuff in season one that is that is very subtle sh- uh, foreshadowing of stuff that doesn't happen until five seasons later, right? It's yeah, they know what their story is and they are telling it. Yeah, I th- there's a literary literary terms for these. They're called uh, planners and pantsers. <laughs> so planners plan the story from. Begin, beginning to end they'll build it like a you know they'll have a skeletal framework and they'll put meat on yeah, the bones yeah. 
and then the pantsers are like fly by the seat of your pants which yeah. is they'll just put a bunch of characters in a room and see what happens yeah. I mean, the latter can work i'm sure but it, i'm not sure it works it doesn't work in in something that's supposed to have this grand narrative that has philosophical implications and yeah yeah, now the, the rumour with Mass Effect is that the final plot got leaked and they changed it too late. Yeah, don't don't change it if the, it gets leaked. Like, what proportion of your players are going to read the leaks? And the one who do read the leaks, they know what they're doing. It's fine. Yeah, and they've already bought your game, I'm sure. So <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's... Um, to me, it, it... I definitely... Like, I almost want to have a little yes-no sticker on the back of every book I buy has has is has this story been like planned out properly or has yeah, yeah. yeah did some guy just put some witty characters in a room together like tv like, shows are where it matters the most for me with a game if you enjoy the mechanics you enjoy the world you can forgive it to some extent right but with with a tv show and it just keeps you like all that invested time is just thrown back in your face kind of thing all kinds of terrible things can happen when you don't take care of your digital security, and that, of course, includes your passwords. The password manager used and trusted by the Destination Linux network is Bitwarden. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all the things to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams and businesses to store, share and sync sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com forward slash DLN to get started for free. To make things even better, Bitwarden is 100% open source. You can self-host and their code is audited. Go to bitwarden.com forward slash DLN to get started for free. The $10 a year premium account gets you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, time-based one-time password authenticator storage and generation, priority customer support. So, from the bottom of my heart, I would like to thank Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Gamesphere and for all around being a good egg to the Destination Linux network. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's, I think it's it's even more um, noticeable when they've got a trilogy and they've they've especially if they like did the first movie in and of itself, and then they mm. stretched it out to a trilogy. So they've got two films where they've where, where really there's only one film's worth of stuff in yeah. there. Yeah. Um, merchandising I mean, I mean, reasons, isn't it? The best modern example, I guess, of making it up as you go along and, and it, uh, mm. added to each director contradicting the previous director is, is the, the recent Star Wars films, right? The recent Star Wars main trilogy. Yeah. Like, they didn't know where they were going at the start quite clearly, and each director has got a different idea of what story they want to tell. So it's just an absolute mess. It isn't. Yeah. And then I mean, of that working, I guess, is the the Marvel stories, the Marvel um, movies. They... they I'm not the biggest fan in the world, but you know they add up to something worthwhile, and that was just you know individual stories told within a world. Yeah, I I kind of liked how Marvel did it. I didn't like all of the Marvel characters, but then you don't have to. That's kind of the beauty of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it works for 
it works for a sitcom. You know, you don't you don't need to know the narrative arc of a sitcom at the beginning, but it doesn't work for Game of Thrones, and it wouldn't have worked. You know, the Expanse is the shining example of doing it right for me. Yeah, although I mean, I I reserve the s- series is particularly of the character based variety do not have as long a shelf life as most producers think that they do. Um, I think you get bored... Extended in in the television era, weren't they, for advertising Mm. reasons, whereas in the Netflix era, they don't need to be. They can just do a couple of seasons and go, yep, we're done, and and that's healthier. Yeah, definitely. I think there's always been a tragedy of uh, television and cinema to to a lesser degree that it's just, it's just, it just, it's got, it's dragged on for merchandising and advertising and you know all those kind of reasons but you know no knowing when to end is as important mm. as knowing when to begin mm. um right we're we're desperate we're actually uh running out of time but there was a game i did want to talk to you about mm-hmm. newts nouts notes nerds 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 which is made by zachtronics who are responsible for space cam and uh opus magnum or magnum uh, opus magnum and um uh, Shenzhen IO and Exopunks, which are all re- really hard puzzle games that make me feel like an idiot. Um, and they've made this, they, they, they're, they're clearly fond of Solitaire, like Solitaire pops up in their games now. And then they, they, they've made competitive multiplayer Solitaire with your friends. And it's amazing fun. It's a real world game, by the way, Nerds. It's a real so thing. Can, it's not something they've invented. So you can play it with an actual deck, deck of how many decks of cards do you use to play with it? You need, a, you need a deck of cards per person. So you're all you're all essentially individually playing solitaire. But there's this stack of cards which in the game we we call the nerds stack. Which um, once you get rid of those, you can press the nerds button, and then you give everybody else you end you end that round, and you give everybody else negative points, and it's first to 100. So you keep playing solitaire until somebody gets to 100 points. But it's just utterly frank. You take a game that you, solitaire is usually a game that people play to relax, to chill out, right? It's, a, it's yeah. a, you can play as low as you like, um, and it's about you know thinking, and you can, it doesn't matter if you get distracted for ten minutes, you, you know that kind of thing. And this is the opposite of that. It's, <laughs> it really, really matters. Um, and when you when you put you know you in certain solitaire games where you put your aces up at the top and then you pile everything on top of those aces. Yeah. Um, everybody's doing that in the middle. Uh, so. And you can put your cards on anybody's ace. Uh, so in a six-player game, there's what's what's six times four? 24? 24. 24, 24 yeah. aces to think about, right? <laughs> as you're also playing solitaire and as you're also trying to get rid of this nerds pile. So it's just utterly overwhelming, but everybody's overwhelmed. Everybody's feeling the same thing. And when somebody puts down a card on a place where you wanted to put down a card, it's like, you'd like a, a moment of just sheer anger and frustration, and then you get back to playing your solitaire. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful game to play with your friends. That does sound amazing. Um, so if you know Solitaire, you know the game, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we got a six-player game going last night, and it was everybody was everybody was just clearly... And it's funny, like, we're all in voice chat, and while you're mm-hmm. playing, it's it's silent apart from just... <clears throat> <laughs> you know, it's just... Yeah, everybody's concentrating really hard. Oh wow! Yeah, no, I did see that game you had going last night. I did. It, I, I, that at that moment, I did know Nerts was because you said, didn't you say something? You say, Chris Nerts, or was it? Was it you? So, people keep Nerts just. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it's kind of yeah. It's kind of it's it's absorbed us a bit. So in 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 chat, every now and then, somebody will just say Nerts, and everybody else will go Nerts. 
that's that's amazing. Um, the presentation of the game as well. So when you start the game, when everybody mm-hmm. presses ready and the game starts, it plays like boxing introduction music, like 80s style, Rocky style, overly dramatic music before you all start playing solitaire. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> Somebody, when somebody does a nerds, which is getting rid of your nerds pile and pressing the nerds button, the game goes nerds. Uh, and there was an instance where I was playing with Matt, and he nerds, which essentially ends the game. But you can carry on playing with the cards you've got. And I, I got mm-hmm. rid of my nerds pile after he'd done a nerds, and the game went technical nerds, and we all we just like <laughs> fell over laughing at that. <laughs> it's lovely. That is amazing. I'm looking at it now. Some videos of of. <laughs> So you can play. How, what, what kind of players? I'm I'm watching two players play it at the moment. But I'm yeah, just, you said one six. You can play it on your own. In which case, it's just solitaire. Uh, up to six people. Yeah. Uh, up to six people. After six people, does it get a bit mad? You, that's just the most you can play it with. That's the most. Uh, the, the game doesn't accommodate for more than six. Because it's oh, okay. not playable by humans at that point. Oh, okay. What about by robots? Robots could probably play it very well. Yeah. You, and, and you have to get the usually in solitaire um there's an obvious right move right there's a, there's a thing that is strategically the best thing you can do whereas in because you've got so much to think about and you're thinking about not just because you're not just trying to finish your solitaire columns what you're really trying to do is get rid of your nerds pile so the columns mm. exist in service of that as does the stuff in the middle so it's not always necessarily the best thing to do to play every card you want to look at how everybody else is doing it's it's interestingly and none of us have a grip on the the strategy of it yet we're just playing by the seat of our pants and that's kind of fun and working it out as we go along what, uh, what is the nerds pile again the nerds pile is just a, a pile of face down cards with the top one face up that you've got to you've got to get rid of that pile. oh that okay that, that that i'm sure there's a solitaire name for it there is yeah uh, that is a very solitaire and i've uh, forgotten the name for it the solitaire pile <laughs> yeah, yeah it's uh Okay, so Nurse is uh, Canfield, a variant of Klondike Solitaire, played com- com- played multiplayer. So if you played this game on your own, it's called Canfield, apparently. Okay. But basically... Uh, and, and it's a, a free-to-play game, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely free. And it's, it's 200 megabytes. And when you launch it, it feels like it launches before you even press the button. It's just instantly there. It's the simplest menu in the world. You just press... Um, you press start game, and then anybody on your friends list can see that you're playing a game and immediately hop in. Oh, okay. Just just a side note. Interesting for a free-to-play game. Uh, our friend Arch Toasty has put it on his his wish list. <laughs> I think I did that. I put it on my wish list and then went back to the page and went, oh, it's free. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure they pay him more at Red Out than that. But... <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine like Arch just like Arch toasted just up up against the screen going, Oh, why can't <laughs> I have it? Uh, it looks manic with four. Oh with yeah, with six it's we we all said at the end like it's just too it's too much to think. You have to you have to rein in how much you're considering kind of thing. Yeah, I'm no, I'm just gonna think about these cards over here. Hmm. But it's great. That looks, it's that, that, yeah, I'm actually going to install it right now. Do you, want to, do you want to play a quick game after we're done talking? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, we've hit the hour mark, so I don't, don't know what that is with the sponsors in, but uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I think this is probably a good time to wrap it up. Uh, thank you very much uh, to, to Drew for joining me. 
Uh, it's a pleasure. A pleasure as always. Uh, thank you to you good folks at home for joining me. Um, please, as always, leave any feedback. You can email it to me or you can join me in the show's forums or anything like that. All of the uh, admin stuff will be linked in the description or show notes associated with this uh, podcast episode. Thank you very much for joining me. And until next time, I've been Chris Ware and you've been awesome. And I, I'm off to play some nerds. <laughs> <laughs>